as we come now before God's Word. You can turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Samuel in chapter 13. That's 2 Samuel chapter 13. Before we read, and even before we pray, I want to warn us uh, that there are some hard things in this text. We often face hard things in the Bible. Some call these sorts of things a trigger warning. I don't know if that's exactly what this is. Uh, But I want you to know ahead of time that there are some sensitive issues here related to to rape. Uh, So I I want to prepare us uh, to hear those things. Um, Before we read, would you pray with me? Our Lord, help us to find hope in you, even when we face the hardest parts of life. You are a strong and good and wise God. Would you guide us now as we read? Bring light to our eyes and hearts by your Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll read from 2 Samuel chapter 13. I want to read these first 22 verses here. It's a long section, but uh, we can handle it. So I'll start in verse 1. Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. And Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin. And it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemiah, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very crafty man. And he said to him, O son of the king, Why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? And Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill, and when your father comes to see you, say to him, Let my sister Tamar, Tamar, come and give me bread to eat and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar saying, go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house where he was lying down, and she took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and emptied it out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, send everyone from me. So everyone went out from him. And then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into the chamber that I may eat it from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. But when she brought them near him to eat, 
he took hold of her and said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. She answered him, No, my brother, don't violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Don't, don't do this outrageous thing. As for me, where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please, please just speak to the king, for he won't withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her. And being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her with a very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Get up, go. But she said to him, No, my brother, for this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. He called the young man who served him and said, Put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for thus were the virgin daughters of the king dressed. And so his servant put her out and bolted the door after her, and Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore, and she laid her hand on her head and went away, crying aloud as she went. And her brother Absalom said to her, Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Don't take this to heart. So Tamar lived a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. But Absalom spoke to Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. This is God's word. We're still in the beginning now of several weeks in which we're looking at the work of God in the midst of the life of Absalom. And in the beginning here, I don't want to just dive into this and pick apart or examine these verses as if it were just a story or some sort of moral study for us. This is history here. These are real people in a real world making real decisions that have real pain. And there are some major world religions that will tell us that pain is just an illusion. But that is not the way that the Bible treats it. The Christian faith knows that pain is real. Pain is in desperate need of redemption by Jesus, all the way from page two of the Bible, when man chose his own way over God's way. And as a result, the Bible is full of the effects of sin, even in its most R-rated or X-rated forms. And when we read things like this, it leads some to say, you know, what what a wicked book the Bible is. I mean, it's outdated, it's immoral, and it's wrong. But to be clear, the Bible here is not praising what has just happened here as good. 
The Bible here is recording events as they truly happened. This is real life without touching up or Photoshop. Hashtag no filter. And if hearing some of these things caused your heart to sink or your stomach to turn or your mind to think, how awful. That's because what happens here to Tamar is truly awful. So before we proceed here, I want to just say up front, if you or someone that you know has experienced anything like Tamar experienced, any of these desperate forms of sexual brokenness, that is truly awful. And I am so sorry. We as a church want to stand with you and walk with you. This is a, an extremely hard chapter in a very long, true story. And in putting it here, it is moving us all as hearers of God's word in a particular direction, a direction that we may not expect. There's a single verse toward the end of Romans that often helps me. Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, Paul says this, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. He says here, everything in God's word, even the difficult parts, are teaching us things, are encouraging us, and is working to produce hope in us. That's true. This is moving us toward hope even if Tamar's current situation seems desperately hopeless. In the opening account of this section, it says that Amnon thinks or says that he loves Tamar. How many terrible, awful things have been done in the name of love? But at any rate, here we probably ought to put the word love in quotes. Because this is so-called love. This is not real love. Real love, biblical love, godly love, the kind of love in which God uh, gives us is self-sacrificing for the good of another. The scripture says God showed his love for us. God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Real love is self-sacrificing, but Amnon here is not self-sacrificing, but self-serving. He puts his own desires first because he wants to be with Tamar, even though it's specifically against God's word. We know the law of God in, in Leviticus, specifically in chapters 18 and 20, 
God gives extensive moral laws on sex because we need to be guided in that area. Because what often seems natural in our own desires is unreliable and sometimes even wicked. The follow-your-heart mentality is a very bad philosophy. The Lord specifically forbids uh, sexual relations between a brother and a sister. Some of you might think that seems self-evident, but it's in the scripture that way, even between a brother and sister who are half-siblings. And that's the situation with Tamar and Amnod. Uh, They have different moms, but the same dad. So Tamar and Absalom have the same mom and dad. Amnon also is the son of David, but of a different mother. And so Amnon and Tamar's relationship is against God's law. But Amnon, of course, ignores that. He's in love, so it's okay, he thinks. And so with his buddy, he cooks up this plot to get her into bed. That he'll pretend to be sick. He'll ask his dad, the king, to send her in to help him. He'll get her alone. Then he can grab her. And even though she resists, the scripture says he was physically stronger than her, and he violated her. As soon as that moment was over, the next line says that the so-called love that Amnon had, that he had fallen into, he has now fallen out of, that love is gone and is replaced with hate and disgust for her. Get up. Get out, he says. And surprisingly, Tamar, after this horrible thing that's happened to her, says, to be sent out will put her in a worse situation than she was even before. She doesn't want to be sent away. Now that might sound odd to us, and this is not because she loves him or because she wants to be with him necessarily, uh, but because in her cultural context, she would now be considered damaged goods. Tamara's no longer a virgin, and so she's unmarriable. And so she will be left desolate. So even though Amnon cannot undo what he has just done, she wants him now to do his duty and to provide for her, to put a roof over her head and to at least give her food. But Amnon says, no, get out. Uh, Where is it? Verse 17 He says, put this woman out of my presence. And the Hebrew there actually doesn't have the word woman. It just says, put this out of my presence. Treats her as just an object, garbage to just be tossed out. And lock the door behind her, he says. This is exactly the opposite way in which the Lord commands us to treat those who are in the most vulnerable positions. How to treat the oppressed, the orphan, the sojourner, and the widow, which she now virtually is. The Lord in his power uses his strength 
to provide for needs, to do justice, to love mercy. And he calls his people to do the same thing, especially he calls the king of his people to do the same. So where's the king in all of this? Where's King David? Where, where is her dad? We see just a little bit at the end of his response. In verse 21, it says, when David heard of this, he was very angry. And that's the right emotional response to have about this. But he stops there. There's no record that David did anything about this. That his anger did not lead him to act righteously. Why not? Perhaps the actions of Amnon in taking a woman who was not his reminded David too much of his own actions with Bathsheba. Perhaps this felt like the pot calling the kettle black and stirred up a sense of his own guilt. Or perhaps, as later copies of 2 Samuel suggest, he took Amnon's side because he loved Amnon and was partial to him. We don't know what was in David's mind here. The author doesn't tell us. We don't know why David does what he does here or <laughs> doesn't do what he doesn't do. But instead, the only one who steps into this situation in any redemptive way is Absalom. I mean, you see here in these last few verses of the section, he consoles her. He says, don't take this to heart, which doesn't mean don't think about it or don't worry about it, but, but don't let it control all of your thinking, Tamar. Don't let it dominate you. Hold your peace, he says. And Absalom takes Tamar into his own house to provide for her. And later in the next chapter, we'll see that Absalom names one of his own daughters Tamar, perhaps to honor or memorialize her or to give her the daughter that she would not be able to have. And at this point, if we're the reader here looking at this, we, at, at this point in the, in the narrative, we might pause and wonder, is Absalom the hero? I mean, we don't know anything about him yet in the narrative. The only other mention prior to this about Absalom is in chapter 3, just in a brief listing of genealogy and names. So this is the first time, really, that he's mentioned in Scripture. And it's interesting that even though the bulk of these events are not about him. The events mostly involve Tamar and her half-brother Amnon, and we don't really even see Absalom show up until the end when he says, what has happened here? Um, the author seems to want us to focus on Absalom. The narrative starts by talking about Absalom, even though he's not involved in the scene at all. Look in verse 1. It says, now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister. 
It seems that even though the story here is not about him, it will be moving toward him. So the question for us now is why? What has Absalom to do with any of this? Maybe you've noticed, if you read this a few times, you just start to notice these sorts of things that that every person in this section is related. They're all family, a nice, messy family. David is the king here, and, and he has a bunch of wives which aren't mentioned. That's not recommended as good, but that's the case. And from one of those wives, he has a son, Amnon. And from another wife, he has Absalom and Tamar. They are full siblings. And then the other one person mentioned is Jonadab, who's their cousin. All these people are interrelated, and the author constantly reminds us by saying the words, her brother, his sister, her father, all of these things, even though the reader already knows that. Look at the end uh, in, in uh, verse 20, how many times sibling relationships are mentioned here. And her brother Absalom said to her, Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Don't take this to heart. So Tamar lived a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. Why is the author so often drawing attention to the fact that they're all family, that they're all part of the house of David? It's because the house of David was a huge deal. Not just for their family, but for the entire nation of God's people. Because God had specifically made promises to the house of David. We see it just a few chapters back in chapter 7 of 2 Samuel. So in this chapter, David David is speaking to the Lord and and says to the Lord, I want to build you a house. In other words, I want to build you a temple, something sort of like what we're sitting in now. And the Lord says, no, no, David, I will build you a house. Not a dwelling with a roof, a house of people, a family and a nation. And of this house, I will be their God and you will be my people. And over this house, I will set a king, your son, the son of David, and I will be his father also, according to my covenant promises. Uh, look how he words it. Let's see, 2 Samuel chapter 7. Let's pick up at the end of verse 11. The Lord says to David, I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house And when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. 
This was the promise of God to David and to the nation of Israel. So these people were now expecting a son of David, the king of the promise, to come in and be a source of rest and security and hope forever. Now, guess who the firstborn son of David is? The one who is perhaps in line to be king. It's Amnon. The one who violated his sister. And as the people of God, we might look at that and go, oh no, this is not going to go well for the kingdom if this is the promised son of David. And the author tips us off in in a different direction. From verse 1, back in chapter 13, it talks about Amnon, but it doesn't focus on him. It starts by saying, now Absalom, David's son, starts us in a different direction and as these awful events unfold we see this son of David Absalom he's the only one that seems to be acting in accord with the Lord he has compassion on his sister he's working for justice and as the people we might think perhaps this son this Absalom is the promised son of the covenant and hope rises its head again But if the people hoped in Absalom as their coming king, that hope would be short-lived because there's some bigger mess coming. And we see throughout the nation of Israel hope rising and then falling, hope and then crushed over and over throughout the life of the people of Israel. They keep putting their hope in a particular person who eventually lets them down. Perhaps you know what that's like. You put your hope in a father or a mother who then lets you down, in a teacher or a coworker who then lets you down, in a pastor who then lets you down. And the Lord says, don't lose hope. I will keep my promises, even if it's not in the way that you expect. Do not give up hope. We see it over and over. I could go so many places. Just one here in Jeremiah chapter 23. Just a couple verses here. Uh, The Lord says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And in his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely, And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. God says to us here, the promised king, the son of David, is still coming. And so the people continue to look for that, continue to long for that, to want that, need that, to cry out for that. This one who would be the hope for all of God's people. The hope 
for ones who had committed awful, desolate acts toward others. The hope, especially for ones who are desolate, whose robes are now torn and whose heads are covered in ashes. For ones especially like the once virgin Tamar. And the people kept looking for this king until one day, nine months before Christmas, another young virgin in Galilee was visited by an angel with another promise from God. Luke chapter 1, the angel says these things. Verse 30, and the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Here comes the child Jesus, the son of Mary, the promised son of David, the son of the Most High God. And Jesus would be a new kind of king, not like David, not like Amnon, not like Absalom. This king, Jesus, would be the true king of righteousness, the true bringer of justice, the true redeemer of people, the true fulfillment of the promise of God forever. This king, Jesus, does not say, get this out of my presence and bolt the door behind her because my love has melted into hate. This King Jesus stands at the door and knocks and says, come into my presence because even when you hated me, I have loved you. Christian, take Be encouraged because no matter how dark your circumstances, the Lord keeps his promises. So rest your hope in him. Would you pray with me? Our Lord, we know that on our own, we cannot stand in the face of hard things. It is just too much for us. Would you help us to trust you? Would you help us to to hope in you? And to know that you are a keeper of promises, one who is faithful to his covenant, to his people. And for this... We give you praise. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.